We're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ken C. Dodds, and I am your host for this JavaScript bo uh, broadcast podcast called JavaScript Air. And today we're going to be talking about Electron apps. This is episode number 30, um, our 31st episode. So we start at zero, of course. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be chatting with some uh, subject matter experts about Electron um, and building uh, desktop apps with uh, web technologies. Super cool stuff. Before I get into it, though, I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsors that make it possible. So um, Egghead.io is the show's premier platform sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and much, much more. Brennan Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well yeah, as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Uh, check them out at frontendmasters.com. And TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And SparkPost is email delivery built for developers. Build something awesome with their Node.js library or SMTP relay. Start sending 100,000 emails free with SparkPost at sparkpost.com slash JSAir. And WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code as, uh, coding assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular, and React, and integration with lots of different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com slash WebStorm. Sweet. Um, so as a reminder, this is a live show. And so if you're watching, uh, if you're watching live, then go to Twitter. And if you have any questions, uh, use the hashtag JSAirQuestion, and uh, we'll answer your questions at the end of the show. Um, and um, this is a weekly show, and so uh, we do have a show next week called Automated Accessibility Testing with AxCore. And uh, we have Wilco uh, Fires, I think, um, is how you say his name, um, Dylan Barrel and Marcy Sutton on next week's show. Really looking forward to that, so check it out. Uh, same time, same place next week. And uh, as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. Okay, so that's all the announcements. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce who we're talking with. So for our panel today, we have Tyler McGinnis. Hey, what's up, everyone? And I am your host, Kent C. Dodds. And for our esteemed guests, um, we have Evan um, Morikawa. Yep. Uh, good morning. <coughs> uh, yeah. I didn't ask you if I uh, pronounced your name right. So was that? Yeah, that's right. right. Evan Evan Morikawa. That was pretty good. Okay, awesome. And uh, Jessica Lord. Hello. Awesome. So we're so happy to have you both on the show. Um, so Evan, why don't we go ahead and start with you. Can you give us an intro to who you are, where you work, um, and why you're interested in Electron? Yeah. Um, I work at a company called Nihilus in San Francisco. Uh, we've been using Electron to build an open source email client called N1. So it uh, is an Outlook replacement, but designed to be very extensible, which is Part of the reason why we're here. Oh no, did Evan freeze for everybody? Evan. Oh, hello. For us. Nah. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> you that. You said this is part of the reason why we're here, and then you like stopped. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, uh, then the the fact to to make this email client open source to make it something you can build plugins on top of, uh, use all day long is a big reason why we're on Electron. Very cool. Awesome. And Jessica? Hey. Uh, I am on the Electron team. I'm an engineer working from Portland for GitHub on the Electron team. Cool. Yeah. So uh, definitely a subject matter expert working on the, the team itself. So awesome. So let's go ahead and I, I think it's always good to get a baseline understanding of what it is that we're talking about. So we're all you know, first off, we all make sure that we're all talking about the same thing, <laughs> but also that uh, people listening um, have some context around what we're talking about if they're not familiar. So um, I think, yeah, a great question to get our, our conversation going is, what is Electron? I'm not talking about, like, the atoms, am I? <laughs> no. Um, so Electron is an open source library that was developed by GitHub that allows you to build a desktop app with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So typically you would have to build an app for each platform, for each operating system in that native language. 
but what Electron allows you to do is to write it once with web languages and ship it to Mac and Linux and Windows. So um, this may be like a, a sideways question a little bit, but um, that like write once, run anywhere thing uh, was like the big mantra of Java, right? So um, maybe could could you talk a little bit about um, why you feel like um, Electron or or how you feel like Electron fits into this picture and and maybe how it's uh, succeeded so far? Yeah. So well, I, to that write once, run everywhere. I think the additional thing that Electron's really trying to solve is not necessarily like pick one any one language and have it run anywhere, but the idea was to build it with the most ubiquitous languages so that it's the apps you build are hackable so that more people can create apps. So building apps with HTML and JavaScript might be a bit more approachable than building apps with Java. Um, yeah, so really the idea is to be to be hackable and approachable. Yeah, I'd also say that the um, a lot of the Electron is very much focused on the desktop. There is no Electron uh, uh, iOS, so certainly the the type of platform that you're on is much more consistent. Um, and they've gone through great efforts to make sure that like you have a single easy-to-use notification API which uses native Mac notifications or native Windows notifications. Um, now that being said, there are still distinct differences between the operating systems that you need to be aware of as well. Like for example, like Windows users love right-clicking things and Mac users never do that. Um, in addition to just the sheer UI uh, of, it, of it as well, you don't have to make it look uh, like a Windows app or or like a Mac app, but going that extra step to customize it to the platform, we found definitely helps people really feel like they're using a first-class application on their computers. So, th so there is a way to like specifically target uh, a specific platform. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, that's very cool. Do you, what is the? I, I have like zero experience with Electron. So, what what's the? I know with like React Native, uh, you basically like uh, have like a .iOS file. Um, is that is that kind of the same with Electron? Uh, we actually just use plain old nodes process.platform, okay. uh, which gives you the platform that you're on. Oh, very cool. So um, with uh, like you, you brought up something kind of interesting, like in, the, in this idea of shipping to all platforms, um, you you need to not forget that you're uh, shipping to all users as well. And so like people who are used to the way that apps work on Windows, when like some of that differs in some ways uh, with Mac. Can you talk about some of the challenges there? Yeah, so you really do need to, I mean, if if you care to create that nice experience on each platform, you do need to be mindful of the differences between the platforms. So, um, like, the, like the way the UI looks, but also even is is it going to be called settings or is it going to be called preferences? And that varies from operating system. And so because you control the menu, you control how that feels. You know, So you could create an app that used totally different terminology than anyone's ever seen. It could be completely unique. Or if you are a person who uses a Mac and develops on a Mac, you may end up, if you don't think and consider those things, you may end up shipping an app to Linux and Windows that's got all of this verbiage used in the Mac world that's going to be unfamiliar to Windows users. So it, it does take knowing a bit about each platform. And so there are, there are APIs in Electron that only exist for certain platforms as well because not everything is the same. Like, you know, every platform can open a file and save a file, but, you know, Mac's have the dark and light toolbar and that is different than on Windows and so it may be important for your app to know on Mac what setting the, the system is on in terms of like dark or light menu bars but you may have to do something different there may be many more options many more ways on Windows that the user has customized their theme and stuff and so you do need to think about the different environments that your app is going out into. 
Um, yeah, and the, but then again, that being said, uh, there are definitely those differences. But we found that you can get a surprising uh, large amount of traction with some fairly, at the end of the day, minor changes. Uh, so, for example, right on on Mac, all of our buttons are like three pixel rounded corners and like a half pixel drop shadow border, right? So it like looks nice and retina and stuff like that. But really that's just at the end of the day, two CSS variables and suddenly when you change it to a zero pixel like square corners and a two pixel border, you suddenly have a Windows 10 button. Uh, <laughs> so like, or, or things like the, the dock icon on Mac is round and the Windows dock icon is square. But let me tell you, the minute we changed the dock icon from your round Mac one to the square one, all of a sudden Windows users thought they were getting like a really, like it fit, it tiled in their uh, Windows 10 dock so much nicer. Uh, so that, that's certainly on the, easy, the easier side. Then again, we had this long debate about preferences. Preferences and settings are pretty different. Mac people expect a pop-out window, they expect like big icons on tabs and windows, they, they slide in from the side, they're, they're very like nested in. Uh, so finding this middle ground there, because that was a lot of different components to build, was slightly more challenging. As far as like the implementation of that, have you found that to be difficult? Like, like specifically, you talked about like the the menu bar, the slider, or whatever. Uh, is that difficult to have, essentially, like two different code files or whatever for two different platforms, or is it uh, not as not as difficult as as it sounds? It's uh, depends on where. Like, for example, a lot of these style things, uh, we just use all the benefits of CSS. It's actually just a body class change. So you get all the uh, the cascading of this. And there are there are a couple separate styles for each, but not a ton usually. Um, we do tend to avoid, like when designing the app, like this preferences thing, we, ha we had to pick this middle ground just to not maintain two completely separate uh, components. Cool. So um, with uh, <coughs> um, deploying to multiple platforms, I'm, I'm just making sure um, my assumption is correct. So you, you can deploy to uh, Mac and Windows and Linux. Is that, is that correct? And what, what versions of, uh, of Windows does uh, Electron support? Um, not 7. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely 8 and 10. Um, I don't know if Evan knows more of the number. Yep. No, that's, that's all we <laughs> test with as well. Um, and then we have a pretty big uh, across a, a pretty big user base amongst Linux users, so we we know it works on the major Linux platforms as well, and then Mac two versions back. Um, so the support is the support is pretty good for most of the <laughs> the user base. Yeah. Cool. And when I, when I'm building something with Electron, like uh, so, based off of our conversation, obviously Electron doesn't give you just like a you know a it doesn't automatically give you the window and everything. Like, you have to kind of create the whole UI. So, are are you creating the toolbar at the top and the like the buttons as well, like all of that, or how much um, does Electron give you out of the box? Um, it actually can give you. It it varies. So you get a basic the basic browser window does have sort of your native toolbar there. You get basic window controls. You get like things you can put in the toolbar and docs and, <clears throat> and places like that too. Uh, but it also gives you the power to not use any of that if you don't want to. Uh, we, we actually tried to re, like our, our little Mac stoplights are currently CSS <laughs> um, and HTML just so we could move where they were a little bit more. Uh, in, in hindsight, I, I would say that like doing that Using the native Electron things, like it drops down to a lot of the native operating system pieces as well, which is really useful for like the right-click menus or native operating system right-click menus. The the <clears throat> like tooltip hover-over pieces are native operating system uh, things like that. So do using as much as like the operating system gives you is certainly helpful for the styling things, but you have a surprisingly large amount of control over the each every individual window you have. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, like, with with your current solution of of using CSS for that, like, do you have to call into APIs when they click the close button and 
and you have to call into APIs when they minimize and or when they're full screen. Um, <clears throat> in the case of in the case of these, yes, um, that's actually another. The atom, the electron window controls are uh, actually very nice for that. It is just that it's just window.close. Um, so you have a lot of capacity to that, and it makes a distinction about like when you we we there are a lot of windows that you close but are actually just hidden. Uh, so we use uh, very heavily a lot of applications that, um, like for example, on Mac when you close the email client, like the main page, we just hide the window because you expect, like the notifications still come in, the app is still running, which is true for a lot of Mac apps. Um, but on Windows, when you click that X, it actually like tries to quit it. Uh, <clears throat> so that's, but at the end of the day, it is just one. It's one if statement. It's one. It's two different APIs that are one-liners. Okay, cool. So I actually have uh, one of my buddies slacked me a question that he wanted to ask you guys. So I'll try, <laughs> I'll try, my, I'll try my best to summarize it real quick. So basically, at his work, uh, they built an Electron app uh, that is basically just Chromium that points to our app because that was way easier in his words. Uh, the Electron app will update every time we deploy our web app, and we didn't have to set up auto updates. So the question is, what are the benefits of actually compiling your web app into a desktop app versus just using Electron as a Chrome container that points to your web app? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I can. The so yes, the the easiest by far, hello world for Electron, because uh, at the end of the day, it points to an index.html file, right? Like all of these apps launch like a regular uh, web page. So the easiest is you can take your existing web page and just put it inside of a web frame and you get a doc icon. Right? That is like the base level piece to do. Um, but we, we found that a lot of it, like pulling all of this together gives you a ton of really nice advantages you couldn't get with just a basic web page. So for example, uh, in the case of our email client, right, we sync gigabytes of mail data locally um, and we actually store it in a local SQLite database. Um, and when we build the app, we compile that SQLite um, against the Electron headers and then against each individual platform. But that means that you can call, like, you can run a database query from a React component. Um, and actually what we do is we use uh, the observable library, the RxJS library, and we can basically hook up a database query directly to a set of React components. Um, so we can use the database as like a big store, which is a pretty cool pattern that you can do now that you can sort of compile any of these arbitrary extensions on top of <clears throat> what we're on top of what we have. I mean in addition, things like your your API access token, we can use the native Mac keychain uh, to store that, but once again through a compiled node node module as well. Uh, which is a nice feature to sort of, a, a nice way to be able to store those type of credentials. So once you start uh, using native extensions, once you start using a lot of heavy file, file system access, like the, the plugin model wouldn't really be as easy or possible without that, um, then you really start to have something very distinct from what you can do in just a plain, plain web environment. So I guess it just really kind of depends on on use cases, and um, although like, um, yeah, like my my mind is racing trying to like <laughs> accessing a database from React. Um, it's like what? So that, like with, with your React app, you're not even using server side rendering. You're just like, it's just it is Node. Is that? Yes. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, this. Yeah. One one of the coolest pieces, in my opinion, about Electron, just like on a day-to-day -day level, right? Like you can open up the console and type document.body, right? You get you get you get your standard DOM, but from like your Chrome web console, you can also type fs equals. Oh, Evan dropped out again. What he was gonna say is fs equals require fs. <laughs> yeah, you can just start like spawning processes from your Chrome inspector panel if you wanted to. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like you, you can have in in the same file. Uh, you can be manipulating the DOM and manipulating the file system. Like, that's that's nuts. Um, yeah. Cool. So, like to that point, we have an Electron APIs demo app. So shout out to that, and I'll put the link to that. But it's an Electron app demoing the Electron API, and it's got tons of reusable code in it. 
And so all of the code snippets are the actual code running the app. Like in the HTML file, we just fs read that JavaScript file and then add it to the DOM. That's true. And maintaining the app, we you know it 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 just exists once. If you update the real code that's running the app, then all of your code snippets are also updated. (laughs) That's so awesome. Yeah, it's actually made me a really spoiled JavaScript developer because uh, if you see anything on any blog anywhere, be it like for any cool thing you can do with Node, like latest Node because it's running Node 6, or anything you can do in latest uh, Chromium because it's like Chromium 50, uh, it, it just actually just works um, to, <laughs> to, a, to a large extent, um, regardless of what platform that you're on. Uh, and that's actually one of the amazing features under the scenes that uh, <laughs> that you all have been able to pull off is this merger of these two these two event loops and these two completely systems into one seamless context, um, which is a really nice thing to have as opposed to this sort of like multi-context type of thing that like a WebKit tried to do earlier. Yeah, so like what Evan was saying, you have the like the near latest uh, Chrome and Node. We're on Chrome 51 now, but Chrome 52 is in the dugout. <laughs> it's, it's getting ready to be added. And so CSS variables exist in Chrome. So you can just use CSS variables. Over 90% of ES6 is already in V8, so you don't need Babel. Like, you can just write ES6. Yeah. There's nothing else you need to do. We actually finally, we just dropped off, um, you can set these, there's now this Babel Electron preset, uh, but you can use everything, you, you can just start typing ES6 uh, in a console, like all of our code no longer runs through Babel, so when you inspect it, when you look at it, it is uh, that plain ES6, which is really nice. Yeah, so like all you're missing is the ES6 modules and the um, like the two features that just came out in ES 2016, like yeah, I mean we still use it for the the like static class binding syntax. We still right, compile yeah. for that. Page we still proposals. compile the modules, um, but pretty much everything else is uh, is as native, which is which is also nice because not only whenever Chromium update ships, like the V8 team has gone through great effort to make those native calls. Oh no, Evan keeps dropping out. Child functions. Evan, I'm afraid you keep uh, like freezing for a second. Oh no, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um, yeah, the, the only thing I was saying is that it's like the V8 team goes through a lot of effort to make uh, these functions run quickly in their native syntax, and you get that all kind of for free. Yeah, that that does sound like a pretty wonderful place to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I do want to get into the details of how things actually work. Like you, we already talked about how you're merging these two event loops from two totally separate kind of platforms into one. Um, so Jessica, can you talk a little bit about how Electron accomplishes um, what it's doing? Yeah. So when we talk about how in Electron you are using Chrome, what Electron actually includes is just a subset of Chromium. So Chromium, Chromium is the open source version of Google Chrome. And instead of requiring all of it, Electron requires just the part of Chrome that knows how to render a web page. That makes Electron smaller file size-wise. It's, it's easier for us to update. Like there's less things to check and patch every time Chrome updates. Um, so there's just the library in Chrome that is knows how to render a, li- a web page. Um, and then Chrome uses V8, which is also what Node uses. And so in the Electron context, this Chromium library and Node are sharing a single V8 instance. And so it's the V8 that Chrome has. So sometimes Electron patches Node because to make Node work with that version of V8, but the idea is, yeah, there's a single V8, and then Node and Chrome are sharing that, and it creates a single runtime where Node exists everywhere. Interesting. Uh, like, it seems like some pretty complicated engineering. Like, how, how do you... So are, are you working off of a fork of Node, and you just keep it updated, or...? Okay. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. And some things go upstream back to Node as well from that fork. Yeah, I remember you guys had an interesting uh, post about. Wow, this is way back. This is Node 12. Uh, it was only possible through this adding this multi-context execution uh, piece into Node. So there was a huge contribution back to Node 12 to enable, which is pretty much like this huge change to change out all this global environment stuff so you could run these multiple contexts in sort of one, one runtime, which is a pretty impressive <laughs> engineering feat in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. That like I can't even imagine. So, what's what's a lot of uh, a lot of the code in in Electron is is lots of it like C code binding these things together. Lots of it JavaScript. What yeah, what's that like? Yeah, it's mostly C plus plus, and then there's a JavaScript API. Yeah, interesting. Boy, I'm glad that you're writing that because well, I. Well, I'm not writing the C plus plus. Actually, this is this is the time to give a huge shout out yeah. to uh, ZC Benz, um, and Jessica, you can talk more about him. But as far as I'm concerned, he is the the code god of Electron, and actually one of the uh, original Node WebKit authors, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Chang is on our team. ZC Benz on GitHub, and he is. The primary developer on Electron Core and and has been since the very early days. Um, so Electron originated way back when because GitHub wanted to build Atom, its text editor, and wanted Atom to be hackable to the core, to be made up of these ubiquitous components like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And so um, early on, many moons ago, <laughs> a few years ago when the team was starting, they tried out different approaches. I mean, they tried out all kinds of different ways to make this happen. Um, and they, they tried uh, Chromium Embedded Framework and, um, and NWJS, but nothing provided that context that they really wanted. And But through um, through NWJS, they met Chang, and they shared ideas of this future world that could exist. And so then Chang started working with GitHub to build what is now Electron. It was originally called Atom Shell because it really just was a piece of Atom. And it's just been, it was open sourced with Atom two years ago, and, you know, ev the team's focus was still on Atom, and then slowly Electron started growing and growing, and it got to the point where it, really, it, needed, it needed its own name <laughs> and, um, and its own team. And so really the last year, for the last year it's been called Electron, and that's been the biggest um, growth in it. And, and we've seen so many contributions also come from other teams working on it. So originally, it was really shaped to suit Atom, right? Like, we built it to build Atom. But now so many other teams are building all kinds of other apps on Electron, um, not just text editors. And so they're contributing a lot of stuff upstream and new APIs into Electron that wouldn't have occurred if we were only ever focusing on Atom. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm I'm a little bit curious about GitHub's uh, role in this and, and um, lasting, um, I guess, interest. And so uh, I'm actually so Electron was originally created for Atom. Um, is is GitHub using Electron for anything else? Um, and and then also kind of what is what's the um, like why why does GitHub care to even have an editor in the first place? Like what um, how does this help the business of GitHub? Um. Well, gosh, let me put on my my marketing hat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um. Well, so. Um, Adam itself was a dream of Chris Wanstrath. So way back when, he actually had this dream like when he was starting GitHub and had to shelve it because he had to make GitHub. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it, it was a dream of our CEOs. And so once GitHub got 
settled enough that they could pick it back up. That's why they started working on Adam again. Um, but I mean, as long as Adam exists, it needs Electron and GitHub. GitHub loves open source, and it loves like it loves that developers are like it's awesome because GitHub is a place where developers can build or put their code, but then Electron and Atom are the place where you can actually build your app, build your first app completely, like in your text editor and build any kind of app with Electron. Yeah, I think that's cool. Uh, I, I just had like this crazy idea when you were saying that, that like turning uh, GitHub's online editor into like sharing a bunch of code with um, Atom and just like making it be Atom in the browser like, oh, mind blown. That would be super cool. And, like, that'd be awesome if I could have all my plugins in there and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm a heavy Atom user. Uh, so, yeah, just mine's racing now. Um, <laughs> so, um, actually, Evan, so you actually, when you started Nihilus, um, you forked Atom. Is that right? To get that, that is correct, actually. We, um, yeah, because at the time we like we want to do for email effectively what Adam was doing for uh, code editing. So day one of the email client was forking Adam, turning off all of the plugins and making our own called email thread list and hooking it up to this uh, REST API that we've been building for the previous year. <laughs> there he goes again. And there, but yeah, at the time it, after Adam was an Excuse me, sorry about that. This was right after uh, Adam was announced. Um, this was the, uh, it was still Adam Shell um, then as well. And over time, it's very much like started to grow and change. Uh, but yeah, we definitely owe a lot to the original like ideas that were in that, uh, that, that code editor. Yeah, I think like the whole idea of a pluggable email client or a pluggable editor, um, and that it's pluggable with something as approachable as JavaScript, just gives you such a leg up. Um, yep. Yeah. So actually, I'm kind of curious about the plugin system of both uh, Nihilus and Atom. Um, how does how does that work? Do I just like hook into a bunch of uh, into some sort of API, and then I can start manipulating the DOM in whatever crazy way I want to, or how do, how do I build a plugin for these systems? Um, yeah, in our case, so the, the entry point for, I think both plugin systems are, are fairly similar, right? You're, you just have some single point where you start activating your code and it starts running. Um, in our case, we have all of our plugins register their components to say, like, I would like to put a component somewhere in the sidebar. So you do not... Uh, like jQuery yourself onto the DOM. Uh, and then at runtime, we say, like, okay, so who who all wants to be in this sidebar section? Uh, and then we just render the components, because they're all wrapped in a... They're all wrapped in a React component. They're actually double-wrapped, so we can catch all of the, the errors that uh, might come up through them and kill them as necessary. Uh, but at the end of the day, what it means is that it's a... It's a uh, we found it's a much more... Control. It's a pretty nice controlled way, especially built on React, to sort of say where all of the places are that can be added or extended on top of this as well. Um, yeah, and then let and then effectively storing all of these components as data makes it pretty easy to reason about what's going to show up at any given point. You can just look at the data stores that are down there. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Jessica, did you have any um, additional comments about the Atom side of things? No, I mean, I don't know the Atom plugin system <laughs> as well, actually. Um, I mean, I did work on a few. Um, but you can pretty much put stuff wherever you want <laughs> and register and publish it with APM, which is like a fork of NPM, and create your packages. Cool, and there are tons of really great ones. Yeah. I'll actually maybe I'll I'll put a link to uh, my favorites in the show notes because I I've got a couple that I'm I'm loving. So one of these days I'll write my own. Uh, it's just a matter of time. So um, <laughs> oh Tyler, did you have something you wanted to say? Uh, I did. Yeah. So I I'm 
kind of like the economics of startups really intrigues me and like utilizing software to save money and whatnot. Uh, so with that, I kind of have a few questions wrapped into one. Is One, what companies, uh, besides you, Evan, obviously, uh, are using like Electron for like their main app? I've, I've heard rumors that Slack is. I don't know if that's true. Uh, two, are there any like performance issues with that slash like what are some of the most common like complaints that you hear uh, when you're developing an Electron app? Sorry for like literally like four questions. Uh, so Slack definitely is, and I definitely want to make a shout out to Paul Betts, who is a Slack engineer uh, who has done unbelievable amounts of effort to make Electron work extremely well on Windows. So the Windows Slack app today is all Electron. Uh, the other team I also want to give uh, a shout out to is the Visual Studio Code team. Microsoft has also personally invested a large amount into making Electron uh, like work well on Windows. And Visual Studio Code is also a pretty impressive uh, piece of software too. Um, there are also quite a few other companies. Uh, I know Wagon makes a pretty makes a very cool SQL editor. Their entire company is currently built around that. Um, yeah, there's a cool company called Speak that does uh, like instant, almost walkie-talkie style chat. They really push what you can do. Like they have this app that has these little bubbles that come out from the side of your screen. It's it's really impressive that it's built in. Uh, they have this crazy transparent window system that they're using. Uh, it's pretty impressive that it's built in web technology at all. Uh, all built on top of like WebRTC plus a bunch of other things, and it works really well. Yeah. Um... Um, WordPress has made a desktop app with Electron. WhatsApp is, I guess, using Electron Whoa. now for their desktop app. Um, like a lot of places. So we have, if you go to electron.adam.io slash apps, we are trying to keep a list of things there. Um, obviously, like people are free to develop an Electron app and never tell anybody that it's an Electron app. Um, but um, some people do want to share that they're building on Electron, and so anyone can make a pull request and add their app to that page, and so that's some of the way that we find out, actually, who is um, building on Electron. You can also, like, right-click, show contents, and start digging around and, like, look for some telltale Electron signs to learn that the app you're using is built on Electron. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm looking at this right now. This is a huge list. A lot of, uh, there are yeah. a ton of apps. I mean, Facebook's Nucleide uh, is, is there too. I mean, Docker and Kitematic. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of pretty big companies that have very recently like put a lot into it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, oh. it's, it's a very impressive oh. ecosystem. Um, Brave browser. Um, oh, yep. Electron. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's a big deal. And there, I just found a Google Play Music thing. Uh, Google Play Music hasn't been working for me, so I'm super looking forward to trying that out. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, Franz, or Franz, that's a fantastic app. I'm just looking through this. Um, uh, there was one other that I saw that was uh, interesting. Oh, yeah, Postman. People use Postman. Discord. Yeah, this is awesome. Very cool. So, yeah, this list is just growing every day as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, how does one learn how to develop apps for Electron? Like, what's, what's the getting started um, learning experience like for building apps with Electron? Oh, so I... Oh, all right, wrong mute. Okay, so my my... Pro tip for that is we have a thing called the Electron Quick Start app, and it is a bare bones Electron app. And Electron just needs um, a main, a JavaScript file to tell it to run, and a package JSON that says what that JavaScript file is, and then a web page and an HTML file. And so once you have those three components, you can make an Electron app start. Um, but so this Electron Quick Start app has those bare bones things in it. And you can fork it, clone it, run it, and you get an empty Electron window, an empty app window that says, hello world. And it's got the example there of how you can actually 
run node in your HTML. Um, and that's a great place to just start because if you know HTML and you know JavaScript, then you can just take that and then just start editing those files. Add an H1 to the HTML file. And so, um, and I know places have started their apps, and I've started apps that way where it's almost just like a, if you think of the most minimal HTML boilerplate, like just starting with a quick start app, and then you just start adding your stuff to it. Um, and then using the API demos app for ideas, for code snippets, for really seeing some of these things that Electron can do, um, how to communicate between, Electron has two processes. You have your main process, which is the life cycle of the app, and it does all of the heavy lifting in terms of um, the native elements, like opening the dialogues and things like that. And then you have your renderer process, which is all of your windows. And so talking between those and that kind of thing, you can learn more about that in the API demos app. Yeah, I also want to say that that Electron Quick Start app, um, I actually push any people that I meet who are new to programming in general, like just new to JavaScript uh, there first, uh, because you have none of the crap you need to worry about. Uh, there's no, like, Jekyll build step. There's no, like, this browser's weird problem. There's no, like, what's a server, what's a client. It just, like, works. You can just, like, type JavaScript. Uh, and not need to worry about all of the extra complexities that uh, this the like the web stack has uh, to just like learn how to code in general. Um, <laughs> so I, I would actually recommend it as a learning environment, let alone an electron starter. It looks super simple too. I'm just looking at it now, and there's like a handful of files, and like you said, in the index.html, there's a script tag, and in that script tag, there's a require. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, I don't want to build for the browser anymore. <laughs> yeah, telling a new, a brand new person's like, no, 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 you need to do this, like, you need to do this require JS thing. So here's this, okay, you want to learn how to code? Here's an H1 tag. Here's Webpack. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a much nicer ease into uh, coding in general uh, to get started with. Yeah, and if you just want to turn all of your favorite websites into <laughs> their own desktop apps, like you can just start with the quick start and replace index.html with like www.github.com <laughs> and then you have a GitHub desktop app. That's sweet. That's cool. And then you could like start layering a bunch of stuff on top of that, like manipulating stuff. That'd be interesting. Hmm. Something to think about. Uh, so Another thing, so we, we talked about how easy it is to get started. I'm interested in how um, like well this scales to a bigger app and what the developer experience is like uh, developing an app. Uh, so yeah, like with, with the browser, it's just like super easy. You make a change, and then you go to the browser, you hit refresh. Like yeah, uh, with, with Node, you're like, OK, run this thing. It's like broken, so you make changes. You run it again. Um, or, or you have like Nodemon or something running a watch. Uh, what's the experience like with Electron? Um, actually, it's pretty much the same. Make a change, hit refresh, <laughs> uh, and the whole piece boots up again. I mean, occasionally, if you run something, if you want to make a change to the back end, uh, to like that back end process, we just control C restart. Uh, and that will, will like pull you up quickly. I, I will say for having the Chrome debugger tools, uh, developer experience at the end of the day is like hats off to the Chrome dev team um, because there are a lot of really nice pieces in that that web developers take for granted. Uh, but like someone coming from like traditional desktop uh, development uh, experiences, it is night and day. Different. This actually, actually, the Chrome DevTools, like that whole the whole developer experience that this community puts effort into, is in my opinion one of the reasons why uh, Electron as a development platform, especially for its desktop, is such a big deal. Um, like the amount of like having an experience as good in like the paint cycles, in the rendering speeds, and like everything that the Chrome DevTools give you 
is something that you really just don't have in any other like desktop building experience, at least to that quality, um, which does make building very complex uh, apps like much, much, much easier to do uh, with because of the types of tooling that we have. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you using like any hot module reloading with your React stuff or anything like that? We are not, actually. We really should. There's, I don't think there's any reason why all of these systems shouldn't work. I think we just haven't like dropped them in yet. Yeah, it's, it, well, it requires having something like Browserify or Webpack. We and just got React DevTools. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's interesting. So, like, um, browser extensions and things, do, can you put those into, um, into Electron? Um, um, only, yeah, only re recently. <laughs> you can go ahead. Uh, no, actually, that's what, that's, I was actually deferring to you. I don't know if you know the details of how that happened. <laughs> oh, so extensions like the extensions you have in your top bar, no, that part, like that's a part of Chrome that's not included in Electron. A bunch of stuff just fell out of the closet behind me. Um, that's kind of spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but um, so like Evan said you have Chrome DevTools is there and just recently we've added more Chrome.APIs so that more DevTools extensions so we're talking DevTools extensions and not just Chrome extensions here so Chrome extensions don't work that's a piece that's outside the scope of what Electron includes but DevTools extensions work we're, we're slowly implementing more APIs, and so basically enough APIs have been implemented for the React DevTools, um, Redux DevTools. Um, there's like, there's like three, three or four DevTools extensions that are now working because the APIs have been implemented, and we're currently adding support for the accessibilities. Ex uh, Chrome accessibility audit. Um, it's actually going to be a part of DevTron, which is a DevTools extension that GitHub has made for Electron that audits your Electron app. And so the, the Chrome accessibility audit is going to be added as a part of that. Cool, yeah. Let's make sure we, we get a link in the show notes for that. Um, awesome. So I think we do have a couple of questions on Twitter, so I think we'll move into there. Is there anything else uh, last minute that y'all would like to mention? Um, actually, I, I wanted to, to, just to be fair to all sides, Tyler earlier asked like some of the, the common complaints or issues that come up with Electron. Uh, and I definitely wanted to like, give, give people a fair chance to hear like some of the potential like downsides, right? Like, uh, I would say one of the most common ones is just the fact that in order to get started, we do like we have to ship all of Chrome and and like parts of like uh, and and Node as well. So there is like a certain amount of getting started size. Um, and if the app really does nothing but a single teeny tiny toolbar thing that really could be 10k in in native code, uh, you may not necessarily need all of Electron. <laughs> uh, but then then again, the minute the app becomes the minute the app becomes complex, the dev tools, the APIs, the the whole this whole like environment is definitely a huge deal. Um, the other thing I'd say that we have fought with a little bit is just like memory consumption, like RAM consumption. Um, every window that you open is a full blown Chrome tab, effectively, right? Uh, we all know what happens <laughs> when you have a hundred tabs open in Chrome and you watch your like system process go on. Uh, and that, that has been, like, we need to be careful to not open, like, 30 Composer windows at once because uh, the memory footprint gets pretty big. Uh, that being said, once, once again, we get a lot of things for free. Uh, I think, I don't remember which, from which version to which version, but one day Chrome shipped an update uh, that came with Electron, and it cut our memory usage by, like, by like in half. <laughs> uh, wow. With one, like, optimization they made way deep down in there. Uh, so, like, yes, it's it is an issue for Electron apps, but only because it's also something that the Chromium team works on too, and that's like definitely something that they optimize for. A lot of which you do sort of once again get for free because of that. Cool. Thanks for uh, answering that. 
Yeah, and I would say um, also a common thing people will talk about startup time um, because that that if you are making a ton of requests and write like all of your you're using tons of node modules that are requiring tons of other node modules, um, you can simplify that by putting them all in one JavaScript file and that kind of thing. But I, I feel like that's also a common thing people have hit where they feel like it's starting slow because they're making a lot of requests. Yeah, although one another another one people bring up that I would like to debunk a little bit is speed. Um, if you talk to any like long time C++ uh, <laughs> desktop app builder, like, wait, you're gonna build it in JavaScript? What are you doing? Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to speed and users, right? Like, if if your if your application is moving at 60 frames per second, it is it is fast enough, right? <laughs> like, like at the end of the day, that's what speed means to to people. Uh, but there are an enormous number of techniques you can do in the web community to do that. And once again, like coming back to Chrome DevTools, like really good debugging tools to see where these janks are coming from. Like jank busting as like a thing on the web is an increasingly rich source of, of techniques and things to do, all of which apply, plus extra fun things you can do with Electron. Like we actually can offload work to a background window uh, to just pull things off the main uh, render threads. You have all the techniques of the web plus some, which at the end of the day means you can get something that runs at at, at 60 frames per second, uh, which is what like people think of when they think of speed. Uh, so I definitely think performance for nearly all types of applications is definitely attainable with Electron um, using sort of the same techniques that you would do for any other web application. Well, yeah, I think that's that's awesome. And you don't even have to break out into a web worker. <laughs> But you can, right? Like you have access to those kind of APIs, like Web Worker, Service Worker, all of that, right? We have not personally used Web or Service Workers, but uh, we do actually launch in an, a separate window in the background, which which we which acts exactly like a Web Worker, with the added benefit that it has a renderer process attached to it, which Web and Service Workers do not. Um, that's, I mean, that's useful just for like, we, we actually put like a debug console, it's like a little developer console, uh, like where all of our API requests get JSONified and stuff like that too. Having a render process turns out a big deal for service workers. One of the major reasons, so there's been a lot of experiments to offload React rendering, uh, like the, a lot of the React processes onto like web workers. Uh, but if you look at the issues, there are still, like, it requires renderers to test, like, text with issues. Um, so it's very difficult to do without a renderer process, but Electron, you have one, so great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very cool. Boy, if only we could just convince everybody to install our apps. Um, no, that, that's, that's going back a couple of years. <laughs> cool. I, I think it caters to a really, um, uh, like, to some specific use cases, and it's really awesome. Cool. So let's go ahead and we'll move into our Twitter questions. We do have uh, two from Amit. And uh, the first question is, any suggestion on packaging and de uh, deployment? Uh, I think he's a, a Linux developer working on a Linux machine targeting Linux and Windows. Um, there is a, a library called Electron Packager. and that one, I think, is the most commonly used one, and it's definitely the one that I've used and we've used on the Electron team. Um, and you can package all of your apps from that. You can add it into your NPM scripts so that you just type NPM run pack Linux, and it will build the Linux version for you. Um, and I believe you should be able to build Linux from any platform. You can also build the Windows package from Mac. You need a couple of dependencies. There's one called Wine, um, and then another one, but it's it's in the README. Um, but you can you can build your Windows version from your Mac, and you can definitely build the Linux version from your Mac too. Yeah, and we actually use Travis and AppVayer. Uh, in, on continuous integration to build. Every time we push to master app bear builds for Windows, Travis has Mac builds, so we use Travis Mac, and we also build for Linux on just standard Travis, and that works. Oh, that's really interesting. And then do you automatically deploy that 
to somewhere or yep, and those automatically get pushed to S3, uh, and we serve it off of there. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I love that. I love automating stuff. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. So another question uh, from Amit: Any way to handle node modules uh, dependencies and reducing package size? So um, not out of the box with Electron. Um, well, okay, so yeah, not out of the box with Electron, but there are some things you can do, like um, if you only need something for developing, if you dash dash save dev and save it as a dev dependency, then when you're using Electron Packager, you can use the prune option, and prune will not include anything that's in your dev dependencies. So that way, only put the modules that you really need in dependencies, put everything else in dev dependencies, and that won't get shipped with your app. Um, Adam, it, Adam has a ton of stuff going on, and so because it's, I mean, it's got all of its modules and then all of the things that you're requiring and all of the plugins that you have, and so there's just a huge pile of node modules. So Adam actually does manually on its own a deduping step where it actually is looking for compatible versions. Um, and so that is something you could do if you kind of, if you hit that cliff. Um, but I think that you can do a lot just by putting stuff in your dev dependencies and pruning it out of your package. I think another uh, tip is like packages often will include uh, files that aren't really relevant to what like what you're requiring. Like for example, um, let's just say that there was somebody who accidentally included a like a nine megabyte GIF in an npm package, and it definitely wasn't me. <laughs> but as soon as I found that, it was gone. <laughs> but uh, that that kind of thing can happen, like by accident. Um, people can include their all their test files and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, another thing that you can do to just like get rid of all the stuff you're not actually using is you could bundle with Webpack. Um, and like I I have never built an Electron app, but I would expect that would totally work. Um, and you'd save you'd probably shave a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, because then you don't have even the package JSONs for all the node modules and everything. So another thing that would add a whole bunch of co complexity, but if it's important to you, then it might be valuable. Sweet. Yeah, anything you can do with Node will work here. Yeah, that I love that. All right, sweet. So let's go ahead and uh, let's jump into um, our um, tips and picks. So we'll start out with uh, Tyler, then I will go, and then we'll have our guests. Cool. Uh, so if you've been following David East on Twitter for the last 32 days, uh, he's an engineer at Firebase. Uh, he's been skateboarding every day. And by about day 25, I was super stoked that he was like so persistent. And I like to skateboard. I'm just really bad at it. Uh, and so Max Stoiber, this developer from Austria, uh, he created a Google group, a Google Plus group, basically for like skateboarders of the web. Uh, and there's like just a few of us in there. But my tip is basically like do something, uh, basically find a hobby that's not like sitting in front of your computer because I've I've only been doing it for about a week, but it's been like not really like rejuvenating, but it's been cool to like just like get outside, which is something I like don't really do often, sadly, and I don't think really many of us do that. Uh, so that's my tip. My pick is a blog post by, by my good friend Jameson Dance uh, just about the title is How to Learn Technical Things. And Jameson has done really, really well in his career, like learning new things. He's big into Elm now, uh, and he was big into React. Uh, but he lays out some really good tips for learning, which I think is a really good thing to learn about, just because we're all kind of always learning. So that's it. Cool. I'm looking at this uh, Google Plus community, and it says skaters of the web. You can join. Yes, you skater. That that that'll count. I know you uh, rollerblade. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at skateboarders. I, I don't know. I'm, uh, as long as I feel welcome there, I've got friends there. I, so. <laughs> I think I, I think we're a very welcoming uh, community of like ten members. So you're in. You're good. All right, joined. You now have one more. Perfect. Cool. So um, yeah, uh, I've got one tip, um, and it is teach to learn. So this morning I gave a talk about ASTs. I've given that talk a couple of times, um, and like uh, the feedback that I've gotten is it's been really 
helpful. The the trick is that I actually have never actually created a Babel plugin or an ESLint plugin. And when I first proposed the talk to the first conference I gave it to, I didn't know very much about ASTs. They're abstract syntax trees. It's like this thing that sounds scary, but it really isn't that bad. And so um, you can kind of force yourself to learn something um, by saying, like, I know it's possible for me to learn this thing. I just haven't made up the time. And so you make a commitment, and then you'll find the time. Uh, and then I also have, as part of this, uh, a link to a blog post um, by Anirudh uh, Modi. I think I'm saying his name right. Um, and it's why teaching is the best way to learn. Um, and it's, it kind of talks about this concept, and it's great. Um, my picks, I uh, first pick, Start With Why. This is a book that I actually got from the JavaScript Jabber podcast. Uh, Chuck picked this book. Um, and so I, I just got it on Audible. I've been listening to it. It's really, really interesting, kind of changing the way that I present information to people um, to make it more, um, like, make more sense um, and inspire people to, um, to look into what I'm, like, talking about. And then last, uh, my, uh, I have a blog post that I just put out called What Code Comments Can Teach Us About Scaling a Code Base? And it's actually, I, I actually created this blog post because I wanted to try out some of the things that I was learning from this book, Start With Why. And so in there, I hope, like, you can give me feedback. How well do I start with why in that blog post? Um, cool. So that is my stuff. Uh, Jessica, why don't we have you go next? Jessica's muted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you almost made it the whole episode without doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you were too close. Um, so in my tips, I was reiterating Electron Quick Start is the way to start all the things. Um, make a menu bar app. I haven't finished writing that URL, but um, a cool, a cool bite-sized project to get started with Electron is to just make a menu bar app. Like you can make one that just tells you time zones or the weather, anything that uses some simple, easy-to-use API. Um, and there is a module, yeah, I mean, you can do this straight up with Electron yourself, or there's already a module that makes it even easier, which is at github.com slash maxogden slash menubar. And so that just makes it super easy to create an Electron menubar app. And then my next tip is to check out the nativize.css file in Electron demo apps and shout out to Nihilus because they've done a huge amount of um, breaking down the walls and figuring these things out but when you are building native apps with HTML and CSS there are actually things in CSS you need to do that you would never do on a website <laughs> and um, so the nativized CSS is the new normalized in Electron <laughs> And so check that out to learn um, some tips on that. And actually, then I'll, I'll also add a link to um, Nihilus talks on um, designing native experiences with HTML and CSS. Um, and then my picks are hammock camping, because it's on my mind, because I did that for the first time over the holiday weekend, and it was awesome. And then to check out um, github.com slash muan, M-U-A-N, slash mojibar, which is an electron menu bar app that makes finding the right emoji super easy. You install it, you should put it so that it comes, it loads as soon as your computer boots up because you need it all the time. It'll give you the raw emoji and the little colon symbol version of it if you want. And oh, it, and it's all based on keywords, so you don't, yeah, the big benefit is that you don't have to remember the official name of the emoji. You just type your feeling and then you find the ones that relate. And they're distributing through Brew Cask? That's cool. Oh, wait, Moji Bar? Yeah. Okay. It's by Moan, who's a GitHubber, and she's amazing. Moan Cho. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now, too. I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Evan, what, are you, what do you have for us? Um... Yeah, so I, wanna, I guess starting with like tips, one of the things that really helped us, especially in the beginning, is just reading through a lot of open source code, which I think is a pretty common uh, 
like tip in general in this community, but especially because Electron, like a lot of the patterns are still getting figured out. There are no like standards yet. Uh, and luckily there are a lot of Electron projects that are open source from Atom to Visual Studio Code to, and this is sort of what's, what's going to the link section uh, as well. Um, but yeah, the, you'll see there's a lot of different patterns uh, people can use with this uh, as we sort of all simultaneously trying to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, some picks. One, one I have, one pattern we've been really, that's been working really well, especially for these types of big apps, are using like observables through RxJS, um, which is re anything that has a continuous stream of events, like in our case a database, or like crazy mouse move events or things like that. Uh, observables work really, really well. In addition, even side, even side by side with something like Redux. Um, so it's not like a, a one-all thing. That's been a hugely nice pattern uh, that's simplified a lot of things in our app, too. Um, on a, the other thing I would recommend is the Electron Slack channel is really good. There's a lot, I mean, there are a ton of people there, so it's a, it's a little hard to keep, like, constant track of. But that also means that, like, questions do tend to get answered there um, by, by sort of the general community. Uh, the final thing I'll leave you with is something unrelated to programming. A book I read uh, recently is Moonwalking with Einstein, uh, which is super, super interesting. It's a book about, like, this reporter who goes in and attempts to compete and then uh, in one of these in memory sport challenges. It's about, like, using cool, cool mnemonic techniques to memorize anything from grocery lists to, uh, like, thousands of random playing cards in order. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. And just a fun book. Like that. Awesome. Cool. So let's uh, we'll just wrap things up here. I just have a couple closing announcements. First off, shout out to our sponsors, uh, Trading Technologies. They're hiring and building for what's next. Um, and React.js program is um, an awesome way to master the React.js ecosystem. And Sentry is cross-platform crash reporting. So check them out. Um, also, check out uh, jsair.io slash, uh, slash suggest uh, to give us suggestions on guests and um, suggestions. I believe that this show was a suggestion from that. Um, and then jsair.io slash feedback is a great place to give us feedback on this episode or episodes in general uh, or the entire show. Um, and jsair.io slash email is where you can sign up for our newsletter that uh, is uh, gives highlight from the show and, and general information uh, about the show. And then uh, remember next week we are uh, having a talk on it or a, uh, um, a show on accessibility. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, same time, same place. And with that, I think we're all up. So thanks everyone for coming. This was a blast and a half. And uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. Thanks. So, yes. Bye. Bye.